Welcome to The Positive Sip, stories about life, leadership, and Mississippi. I'm your host, Dr. Regina Hyatt. This episode, you'll hear a special Mississippi story and my reflections on leadership. So let's begin. Thank you so much, Andrea Self, for being here today as a guest on The Positive Sip. I am so excited to have you. Well, thank you for inviting me. I am excited to be here. I will tell you, this is a little bit weird for me because I'm usually the one asking the questions and not (laughs) answering the questions. So I'll try to sit in the seat that I am assigned to today. (laughs) Yes, I can imagine that would be quite unusual. And I am just really delighted to have you here. I've been a fan of yours for a long time and appreciate the work that you do. So um, maybe start by telling us your Mississippi story. So the positive sip is about Mississippi and Mississippians, uh, where you grew up, your life here in Starkville, and what makes you love it here? Why do you stay? I am a Starkville girl through and through. I will say that. Uh, homegrown, as I like to tell people. I was born in Starkville, went through the Starkville School District. I graduated high school in 1992. My 30th reunion is next year. Oh, my gosh. But I left for a very short time just to go to college Contrary to popular belief, I'm not a graduate of Mississippi State University. We claim you, nonetheless. And, and, and I'm here when I, I'm actually on the I'm on the faculty here. I teach in the communications department, so I am family indeed. My husband is a graduate of Mississippi State, so you know I'm married into the family. Let's say that. But growing up here, how can you not be a Mississippi State fan? I mean all the years of my life I was here, but the opportunity to go to an HBCU presented itself for me, and it was just not something I could pass up. I went to Stillman College in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, you know, still in SEC country. We were that other school in Tuscaloosa, and it really was one of the best experiences of my life. It was gaining a greater sense of myself when I got there. It was a very small environment. It's a private, historically black college that is funded mostly by the Presbyterian Church. So there was a lot of values and faith that ran through that campus. A lot of what we did was based on that. But it was just a a wonderful family environment. But something brought me right back home. (laughs) After I graduated, I got a job working in radio initially in Columbus, but I still lived in Starkville, so I just commuted. I lived in Columbus for about five years, but something continues to draw me back to Starkville. And it is just a special place. I have people ask me all the time, why have you stayed? I have been at WCBI for 23 years. So I've grown up really on television. People have watched all my moments, my terrible ones. Uh, I got married. I had a daughter. I went through a difficult pregnancy, all for everyone to see. But people have been so warm and so welcoming to me. And I think that is one of the things that makes this place, this state special is the people. I did a story just this past May, and this is an example of the kind of community we live in. There's a firefighter here. His name is Todd Palmer. And early in his career, I think he had just gotten out of the fire academy. He responded to a devastating fire here in Starkville. And he ended up saving a child. She was almost two years old. It was, you know, if you to hear him tell the story of how he saved her, having gone into the house, not being fully aware of where he was, as you might imagine, the dark of night, a smoke-filled house. 
and going into the bedroom where the child was supposed to be not hearing her. He turned around and leave and something told him just to go through another door. And he found this baby in the closet. He thought it was a doll and he picked her up by the leg and realized it was a child, took her out. Long story short, she was not expected to live. One of the things that firefighters go through on an event like that, they have sort of post a little bit of, I guess, counseling. And one of the things that his superiors told him is that she's probably not going to make it, so prepare yourself for that. But she did. She survived. This was 17 years ago, and the story that I did in May, she graduated from high school. He was front and center at her graduation at Humphrey Coliseum. He had maintained contact with her family all those years, and he had a motorcade for her by her house the day of graduation. And he said to me, I would not have missed it, just like I would not have missed the day she came home from the hospital. So that is just one example of why this place is so special. Thank you for sharing that story. I am so appreciative of all of our local first responders and the job that they do every single day Mm -hmm. and to maintain that contact for so many years and to celebrate. What a celebration. Absolutely. It was great. For him and the the family, certainly. There were some tears. (laughs) Yes, I would have been one of the people in tears uh, in that moment. So, Andrea, you talked already about your career at WCBI Mm -hmm. and your day job as an on-air personality for mm-hmm. WCBI. How did you know that you wanted to be a reporter or journalist? You said you started out in radio and, mm-hmm. and then transitioned to TV. How did you know that was your calling in life? I will tell you, I can remember being probably about my daughter's age, 11 or 12 years old, getting the Startwell Daily News and sitting down in my grandmother's bedroom in front of the mirror and just reading the newspaper. And at that time, I can remember Connie Chong. Do you remember Connie Chong? I remember yeah. Connie Chong. She was, her. she was an anchor on the CBS Evening News. And I can remember just sitting down, reading the local news, trying to sound like her and mimic her mannerisms and, you know, sound like a news lady. So I, I've always been sort of a storyteller. I can remember in elementary school having to write stories in like third and fourth grade. And I remember my thought process when I would sit down to come up with the story and how I would write it. And I remember writing stories. So I've always been a storyteller. I've enjoyed communicating in that way. I joined 4-H when I was in middle school. And my subject that I sort of zeroed in on was public speaking. And I started going to workshops and contests. And I did well. And I found a comfort zone. A lot of people, a lot of people that I know, and I have a little bit of a fear of speaking in front of people. And it's natural. It's a it's a very natural fear. But there's something about connecting with people in an audience that energizes me. And I found that doing radio, first of all, I didn't have to worry about what I looked like. So that was just great. It was just communicating with people. I was answering the phone. This was Back in the days when DJs were live, everything is syndicated now, but I did a live radio show and it was, you know, I did hip hop and I did R&B and I did gospel and I found my voice doing that. And when the opportunity came to do some producing in television, there was that chance again to tell and write stories. And the rest is kind of history. I, I had an opportunity beyond producing to start reporting and the news director at that time, who also is a 
Mississippi State employee. Jeffrey Rupp was my news director at the time. Jeffrey, I always say, saw something in me that I I saw in myself, but I wasn't confident enough to pursue myself. And he made me do it because he for whatever reason, thought that this was for me to do. And that's really how it started, just the love of telling stories, telling good stories. And I've told a lot of stories. Well, that's a great segue to my next question for you. You have covered incredible stories over Mm -hmm. the course of your career, and you talked about one already. What story or two really stand out to you and why? There's so many, and this is a tough question, but one that stands out, and it's because it was so early in my career, there was a murder trial here in Octibaha County. The young man's name was Tyler Edmonds. He was 13 years old when he was arrested for the murder of his brother-in-law. He and his sister were arrested. The case went to trial, and I was assigned to cover the trial. So here I am. I mean, I was like 25 years old, I think having never sat in a court of law in my life, trying to figure out all of the intricacies of this terminology I'm listening to, what all of these different things meant. So from that level, it was very educational, trying to learn and understand what was happening. But on another level, it was so emotional because in preparing for the trial, I also sat down and interviewed Tyler Edmonds' mother, who, you know, from the very beginning was just crying out, there is no way he could have done this. He was coerced, you know. She she just, in her heart of hearts, did not feel like her little boy, because that's what he looked like. I mean, he was 13, but he looked like he was 9 or 10 years old. But um, just sitting through that trial, and he was convicted. He was convicted of murder by the time he went to trial. I think he had turned 15 at the time of the trial. He was convicted, but years later, the Mississippi Supreme Court overturned the conviction. He got a new trial, and he was exonerated second time around. But through over the years, I have kept in contact with him when different things have come up with the case, and I've interviewed him. So just watching him evolve over the years really made an impact on me, but That trial taught me, you know, from the educational standpoint, but just from trying to do the one thing as a journalist that you have to do, and that is separate your emotions from what's happening. That was difficult to do. It was very difficult for me to do, but it stands out a lot for me. Um, On a much happier note, being able to cover the Mississippi State women's basketball team. And I saw you there, so I know you remember this. Yes, yes, (laughs) When they went to Dallas for the first Final Four was just the most amazing experience for me. I cannot tell. I mean, yeah, I can tell you because you were there and you understand. But And obviously, I wasn't there covering it from a sports journalist point of view. I was there to tell the story of fans and the fan experience and to let people back home, you know, hear from the players' parents and from the coaches wives and to see all the things that go to make this thing happen. The thing about it was it was so fast. We had to decide, okay, are we going? Okay, obviously the sports guys are going, but are we going to take mid-morning with Andrea on the road? So yes, we're going. So then, okay, I have a second grader. She's in school. This is happening in the middle of the week. Does she go? Does she stay? Did we find a babysitter? So at the end of it all, my husband and I said, we're going to pack the car. We're going to drive. She's going with us. Best decision I ever made. My husband became a part of the crew, (laughs) and we needed him. So he got a press pass. Uh, My daughter, who 
could not get a press pass. And we just prayed all the way there. Like she has to go with us where we go behind the scenes, you know, through every clearance. Nobody said a word to her. They waved to her, gave her stickers and candy (laughs) and everything. She had a fabulous time. When it was time for me to perform, she sat in a corner with her iPad. My husband, you know, hauled around equipment for us. It was the most amazing experience, truly, of my one of the biggest highlights of my career. Also, I will share this with you. When President Barack Obama was running for president, when he was Senator Obama, he did a rally in Columbus, and I was able to do a one-on-one interview with him. So that was pretty exciting. And on that same day, former President Clinton was campaigning for his wife, you know, at that time was running against Obama in the primary, he was campaigning for her in Oxford. So I had the opportunity in the same day to interview the future president and a former president. So that was kind of exciting, <laughs> that especially was a big as a day. Yeah, yeah, I have I have the tape to uh, to prove it. I love it. Yeah. Those are all excellent stories and certainly tell a perspective about the importance of the work of journalists mm-hmm. and reporters. And I I agree with you. I think sometimes it's very difficult to separate the personal feelings about whatever's happening and then the work that you have to do. Mm-hmm. And Sometimes you can do that and sometimes you can't. Yeah. You just have to really like bite your bottom lip and just do your job, you know. Yes, just that's right. Have to do it. That's right. So you are very, very engaged in this community in Starkville, in Columbus, the Greater Triangle area. You serve on boards like Boys and Girls Club of the Golden Triangle, and you're very involved with your sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. What is it that you enjoy about those involvement experiences, those community involvement experiences, and why is that important to you? I would say it gives me an avenue to help home. You know, we've talked about being in Starkville and staying in Starkville and staying in the state of Mississippi. So many people, and there's nothing wrong with it. I do think people need to spread their wings if there are other opportunities. But there is also something very special about being able to take the talents that you have been gifted and using them at home. So being involved in civic organizations, my sorority, it gives me an opportunity to help in places that need it, that are right here in the community where I grew up. I think it's important for me if I'm in a position to help someone and I have the resources or I have the wherewithal to do it, I think I have an obligation to do it, to help where I can. So staying involved and staying connected. And it also helps me to find great stories out there. It helps me to magnify the stories that sometimes are not told. So being in those places and in those spaces with people also helps me to do that. Absolutely. So, Andrea, I know people have favorite quotes or a mantra or scripture that maybe you put up on your bathroom window or you have it in your car. What is your favorite quote or mantra and why does that resonate for you? Uh, right off the top of my head, I would be, it would be just eat the cake, but that you want something more serious, I'm sure. <laughs> no, that's good. No, that's good too. That is one of them because I try not to take things too seriously. It's like sometimes just do what you want to do. It's okay. You know, you can make up for it tomorrow. But really when I got to Steelman College as a freshman, moments after I moved in, my mother and I were walking down the hall after she got me moved in and somebody on the hall had a quote on her door, and it said, what I am is God's gift to me. What I make of myself 
is my gift to God. And to me at that moment, and that has really stuck with me, like from 17, or I guess I was 18 at that time to now, it was sort of a reset in that moment. Like I am here, I am at Stillman College. I was awarded a full scholarship to go to this school. This is a gift to me that has been given to me by God, by the universe. This is my destiny. So my charge is to take what I have been given and make the very best of it, to give back to God the very best gift possible in return for what he's given to me. It's sort of like to whom much is given, much is required. And that's how I try to live my life is nothing that I do, do I think I necessarily deserve. But I do think that I have been given a lot of opportunities. I've worked for them, but they've been my destiny. I, I tell people a lot, I told some friends the other day that your destiny will find you. I mean, it doesn't matter. You can try to run from it or you can try to run toward it or you can try to create your own. But that which is ordained for you by the universe, by God, by whatever spiritual realm you operate in, I think it is yours. And at some point, it's going to find you. And so I think in my finding my ever evolving destiny, I just try to be the best person that I can be. And that is because of what I've been given. So you started out your comments earlier and you talked about that people make Mississippi special. And I I certainly agree with that. I've had the opportunity, as I know you have as well, to to have friends and colleagues, you know, across the country. Mm -hmm. And they uh, when you say, oh, I live in Mississippi or I'm from Mississippi or I work in Mississippi, sometimes there is a reaction to that, you know, almost always. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and I and I try to talk to people, and that's the purpose of this podcast, you know, about the incredible things that are happening in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So you said people make this place special. Mm-hmm. What about the people here that make Mississippi special? Because it is special. It's unique. It is very unique. And, you know, people have perceptions about Mississippi and other parts of the country, and some of those are well-founded. I mean, we have a pretty complicated past here in Mississippi and the South in general. But I think that we can acknowledge some ugliness from our past and still embrace the things that are beautiful about us. And there have been, you know, people, black, white, young and old who have fought and worked to try to improve the image of who we are across the country, across the entire world. They've marched, they've fought, they have shared their stories. And I think that's what makes it special. We have to continue to write the narrative that is acknowledges the past, but says that we are looking forward to a much better future. I mentioned, you know, the Todd, the Todd Palmers of the world, that firefighter who, you know, happened to be white and this little girl happened to be black. So much of what we talk about in our world is black and white. And I don't ignore that because I understand that it exists. And to see that kind of a special relationship between two people over almost two decades shows you how special we can be. We are some of the most hospitable people that you will ever meet. Two years ago in Starkville, As a matter of fact, we had a really rough summer here in 2019. We lost two people in this community and it had an effect on everybody. 
Lake Little was high school student, recent high school graduate, and pursuing a dream of being a pilot and unfortunately died in an airplane crash. And in that same week, a woman by the name of Dorothy Jean Isaac, who I'd known my whole life, passed away. You know, this was a community activist. If there was a city council meeting or board of aldermen meeting, she was there. If there was an NAACP event, she was there. If there was an event that was advancing young people and helping young people, she was there. So they died within days of each other. And we, I saw people in this community and around the state rally around their families, like perfect strangers, to comfort them, to extend love to them in a way I've never seen before. And that, to me, is what I love about this town and this state is that we step up when we need help. We can put our differences aside to sympathize and empathize with one another and try to ease each other's hurts. Excellent. Absolutely. And thank you, Andrea, for being here on the Positive Sip today. And importantly, thank you for being one of those positive lights every day on TV and in the community and always being willing to encourage others to pursue their destiny and their dreams. Thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed this. This was fun. That's all I can say about my conversation with Andrea Self. I have to just share this with all of my Positive Sip listeners. I love Andrea. She is an incredible storyteller. She is a powerful journalist, newscaster, all the things. And she is also a committed, committed citizen of Starkville, Mississippi, and she loves and cares about this community. I enjoyed our visit so much because I truly believe that Andrea is changing lives. Every day through the stories that she tells, the lens that she tells them from, the sense of empathy and compassion that she still holds despite her need to be neutral in her journalistic role. I am especially moved by the stories that she shared with us on our episode today. I wanted to reflect particularly on something that Andrea said, which was help home. And this notion <laughs> that we have an obligation, maybe maybe obligation isn't the right word, but an opportunity to really make a difference in the communities that we live in. And Andrea has done that. She certainly has done it through her work, but she's also done it through all of her civic involvement. So this idea of helping home starts with getting involved. And I know all of my listeners in Positive Sip land know there are tons of ways to get involved, but maybe you haven't explored how to do that within your own community, the place that you live. And I encourage you to reach out to your local chamber of commerce or your local volunteer group or your agency for nonprofits in your area. Get involved in your community, wherever it is that you live. Find a way to give back. 
And that could be by using your talents, your time, talents, and treasures, as we like to say, in the place that you are interested in helping. We want to magnify those opportunities. And there are so many agencies, community groups, schools, whatever the case is within your local area, who could use you, who could use your time and talents. So I want to encourage everyone who's out there listening to take a moment and think about the things that you care about a lot within your home community and find a way, even if it's spending a couple of hours one day going to pet the animals at the Humane Society or finding a school in your local community where you could volunteer a few hours a month. Every bit of those things help. And those are the kinds of activities that really do, over time, create change. I want to emphasize that we do all have this obligation to help. I do believe it's what we are as human beings responsible for. We have a connectedness to each other. We don't live in isolation from each other or from the communities that we reside in. And so my encouragement, my challenge, whatever you want to call it, is take a few minutes this week. And if you aren't already connected to something at home, this idea of help home, reach out, find an opportunity for you to be engaged. Use your time and talents to magnify the opportunities and stories with your own community. Thank you for joining us on The Positive Sip. We hope you'll be listening again for our next episode. The Positive Sip is produced and edited by Flora Dito, Carson Brantley, and Katie Corbett.